Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Hey there, everybody. Welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton, and uh, today we are going to be continuing our study in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, as we're walking through this with our staff. We're glad that you're joining us and that we have uh, the opportunity to be able to share a little bit with you. So today we're going to be in chapter 7 of um, 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're, we're taking on the first 16 verses as what we're accountable for here today. And um, this is kind of one of those passages that you probably don't hear a whole lot of sermons preached on. It's um, one of those one of those passages that, quite frankly, is uh, maybe a little uncomfortable to talk about because Paul um, talks about um, the concept of purity, talks about um, sexual relations in in marriage, um, and and so uh, today we're 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 going to talk about the passage, but we're probably not going to probably not going to get into it in in maybe exactly the traditional way. Um, you know, if you if you remember and and you think about what is going on in the church in Corinth and what the circumstances are. Um, the the church at Corinth is a, a church that was planted by the Apostle Paul in uh, in an urban environment in a crossroads city in a uh, in a pagan environment, and so you've got these people who have who've come to Christ. Uh, many of them are are Greeks. Um, they they don't come from a Jewish background. They're although there are people, and this is a church that's a mix of, of both Jews and Gentiles. But you've got a predominantly a group of people that are um, that are not Jews, and the church is trying to figure out how to live for Christ in the middle of a culture that doesn't reflect Jesus. Um, and I think that's part of the reason that the book of 1 Corinthians is so helpful to us. And what we know about the church is that it is a mess, um, that they're struggling to figure out how to, um, how to be who, you know, who they're being called to be. They're, they're, they're struggling to figure out how, um, how to live and how to out, live out Christ-like ethics. They're, uh, and the implications of, of the gospel in, uh, and they're, and they're struggling with it. Um, there's all manner of sexual immorality that has manifested itself in the church. They're struggling strifes and people are arguing with each other and, um, and, and there's doctrinal division and, and people can't even get on the same page about, um, you know, because of their, they're kind of warring for control. They can't even get on the same page about who they're listening to and and what things they see or who or what people they see as authoritative. And so Paul's talked about all these things. And if you've been following along with us and and have gotten to this point in our study, you're you're pretty well acquainted with that. Well, today in the passage that we're accountable for, um, Paul is Paul is answering a question for the church, and and so he's he's responding to something that was 
um, that was that was sent to him and asked of him, and then he's writing in this letter back um, to answer their question. And the question is this, or the question, this maybe it's more appropriately, it's a statement. They're they're sort of sending a statement, and they're saying to Paul, "Hey, we think we figured this out. That um, you know, we know we're living in a in a in a sexually confused." Um, culture and society. And so we think we figured out the best way to live for Christ in the middle of, um, in the, in the middle of all this. And, and so here's their statement. Um, their statement is, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so here's the decision they've made. They, because, because there's sexual temptation around them, because there are people that are um, that are that are doing all kinds and all manner of things, because because they're living in a world that's not helping them to see God's design for uh, for men and women, for gender, for sexuality, for anything, because because they're seeing the gift of of gender and sexuality be be sort of um, you know broken and 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 stretched out of its context and out of its meaning, um, they're taking a very reactionary approach and they're saying, okay, well then the answer is we just need to get as far away from sex and sexuality as we possibly can. And here's the problem. The problem is that while we may struggle to apply a a God-honoring biblical sexual ethic to our lives um, to our churches and the way we relate to one another, while we may um, be embroiled in a world that 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 you know kind of thinks of and uses sex in ways that that God never intended and that and that isn't part of God's design, we can't ever get away from the fact that that gender and sexuality are part of God's design, and and they're good gifts and they're things that. God's given us for a purpose. And, and so, you know, he, he created us male and female. Um, he instituted the institution of marriage with Adam and Eve. Um, Paul in other places in the New Testament, in Ephesians and Galatians, both goes into great detail with those churches and gives a much more kind of full theological picture of an understanding of marriage and 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 he touches on the issue of sexuality as well uh, and intimacy within marriage but but what Paul essentially says is is the way that we relate to one another as husband and wife is a picture to the world of how Jesus uh, relates to his church and the way we as his church are to respond to him as uh, as our bridegroom and and so what we see is that that a God honoring way of approaching this is not to run away from sex and sexuality. It's not to, it's, it's not to, to try to get as far away from it as we can. (laughs) Although we're tempted to probably think that way sometimes because it, it, we just think it's easier. Um, And so if it's something that we don't talk about, if it's something we don't, you know, necessarily think about, if it's something we, we kind of shy away from, then, um, you know, maybe we make our, our way through this world and, and our way through this life easier. But the truth is what God's saying is um, you're, you're missing out on a blessing. You're missing out on a good gift. But more than that, you're, 
you're not learning things about him and you're not understanding things about him um, that are that are captured in all of these things that he's he's created as a part of the design for the world and 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 for and how we're supposed to both function and flourish. And so I think today the the thing that we can kind of take away from this is is that we're seeing the same sort of things happen in the church today, but those things are around how do we respond to the redefinition of marriage? How do we respond to um, people of the same gender being able to marry? And the church is really split and really divided on that. Um, I, I think probably if you're listening to this podcast, most of us um, have a conviction that um, that marriage is is something that should be reserved to be um, between a man and a woman and that it should be, you know, one man, one woman for one lifetime, that, that that's what the institution of marriage was, was created to be. That's the ideal that God's placed before us. And I think most of us probably have that conviction, but we're living in a world where increasingly um, we and our churches are, are being forced to deal with a world that has said marriage is something else. And they've allowed people to, um, to define marriage in ways that, that God never intended. And that's, that's creeping into our thinking in the church. And it's, and it's forcing us to have to, you know, respond to things. And, and, and it's, it's forcing us to have to have to answer questions about why we won't participate in, in marriage and marriage ceremonies or why we may not acknowledge marriages between two people of the same gender. It's, it's further complicated by the fact that we live in a world that tells us that gender is fluid and that gender is something that you can choose and unchoose and that there are more than two genders and that a lot of the things that, that we understand about those characteristics that are inherent to um, and, and are special of men and women our world is trying to tell us that those things aren't different and they're not special and and that ultimately um, gender is something that can be that can be changed, that can be manipulated, that can be surgically altered, that can be whatever. And and that affects us. That affects the world that we're in 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 adoption and foster care here at Lifeline. Because the truth is that that while while the world may sanction marriage between people of the same gender, while the world may sanction our ability to be able to chemically and surgically alter a person's literal physical body and, and, and alter and intervene in a person's biochemistry, um, what we're unable to do is is we're unable to really make a person um, go from being a man to a woman or a woman to a man. We can pretend that that's the case, but the truth is, biologically, that can never happen. Someone born as a man will never bear a child as a woman. Someone born as a woman will never be able to um, to to bear a child with another woman if they've if they've gone through you know, sexual reassignment and gender reassignment surgery. 
And, and I think those kinds of things, Paul wasn't dealing with that, and the church in, Car- in Corinth wasn't dealing with that. But, but what we see in the first 16 verses of 1 Corinthians is a church that was dealing with their own variety of sexual and gender redefinition, their own, their own variety of um, the world setting a different standard and a different set of rules, the world pretending that there's not a design and not a purpose behind our, our gender and our sexuality. And, and so for the, for those 16 verses, Paul is, is wrestling with the church about the implications of all those things. And so he's talking about how we're supposed to treat sex and sexuality, about how we're supposed to act as a husband and a wife toward one another. Um, he has to get into, um, like, how does this apply to, um, to, to people that are widowed and, and those that are single? Um, one of the complicating pieces of all this is Paul even seems to, um, in verse 10, he says to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. And, uh, and, and so in one place he says that he is, um, that, that he's, he's, he's telling us what, what the Lord has told us. And he's, he's reinforcing, um, what it is that, um, you know, what it is that the Lord has told them to do. But if you go back in verse six, Paul says, and now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. And so Paul, as a, you know, as a single man is saying, you know, personally, I just wish everybody was single because, because this would all be a lot less complicated than it is. But even then (laughs) it's difficult for us to figure out what to do with all this because Paul on one hand says, I wish it was one way, but then he four verses later points to the fact that that's not the way it is. And ultimately that's not his, that's not even God's design. And so I think what we see in this passage is even, we we get to see a little bit of the humanity of the apostle Paul that, that Paul is himself wrestling with this and saying, look, I, I struggle with how to think about all this. I think I struggle with what to do with it. I there there are some things that I think if just if I could if I were making the rules that I just would wish people would would behave differently and and people would you know do something differently with their sexuality um, because that would just be easy. But yet Paul comes back around right here in these sixteen verses to say that's not the reality. And so he gives some rules for living and he, and he talks about some practical things about the way that women and men relate to each other in marriage, the way that we conduct ourselves sexually within marriage. He talks about all those things specifically, and I'll let you go read those things for yourself. But, but at the end of the day, what do we take away from this? And, and particularly we're always trying to look through the lens of, of our, our ministry to, you know, to orphan and vulnerable children. And and I think there are several things. One is that I think, I think we take away from it that, um, that we have to honor God's design and, and no matter how we feel about God's design and no matter how we feel about ways that we think that we can conduct ourselves that would be easier or better or preferred against God's design, we don't get that choice. 
Paul didn't, the church at Corinth didn't, and we don't either. Um, I think it also leads us to, to understand that this is an issue that's really hard to sort out. And there are temptations and there are and there's erroneous thinking all around us and and we're constantly inundated with things that that challenge us and and many people um, come to very wrong conclusions when they consider um, gender and, and sex and sexuality, particularly when they don't do that through the lens of God's design and ultimately Jesus and his work and the gospel. And, and so we shouldn't be surprised when, when people deal poorly with these things because, because they're not dealing with them um, in the right framework. I think it also leads us to the place that, that we also sort of see and feel the humanity in that. And, and while we might vehemently disagree with people that are, that are living their lives or even trying to impose on us a, a set of thoughts or a set of ethics that are different than God's design, that, that don't honor that he created us male and female, that don't honor that marriage is between a man and a woman, that, that while, while we, can be, we can be very certain about those things, we also can see and, and, and feel and acknowledge the compassion um, for, for people that are, that are struggling with the implications of that. And so Paul is being really certain with the church in Corinth about how, how marriage is supposed to work and how sexuality is supposed to function within, within their, their community of believers and, you know, with, within, within their church. But, but he's, but he's also, he's also very compassionately dealing with them to say he knows many people are struggling in the midst of that. And that doesn't change truth and it doesn't change the things that he tells them to do, but certainly Paul meets them where they are in the wrong conclusions that they've drawn. And in, even in the wrongness of the way that, that, that they're trying to handle it, and and he he very certainly but very compassionately leads them to a better way. And so today I think that's how I'd probably like to close. That that I think um, you know, may the Lord allow us to be people who are who are compassionate, who who love and serve like Jesus, um, who understand on some level, the difficulty and the struggle and the pain of people who are, who are dealing with um, gender confusion, people that are dealing with, um, with, with like really deep hurts and, and really deep struggles in their life. And that we, and that we lean in in ways that are compassionate and, and are, um, and 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 are are kind, but that we also maintain certainty that we live according to an ethic that is not something that we get to decide. We live according to an ethic 
that is tied to God's design and we live that way and we believe that way and and we function according to it mostly because he has said that it's right and because we love him and because we want our lives to reflect him we see the world in ways that are consistent with his his design and our love for him ultimately governs and guides how we think about these things, how we function in and among these things, how we participate in government with these things, and everything that we do um, ultimately is responsive to God, responsive to His design, honoring of, of His Lordship, but that as we carry it out, that we're as compassionate as Jesus was, with those who are broken, with those who are captivated and held captive by sin, and those who are in need of um, the, the, the grace of Jesus and ultimately the transformation that can only come through the gospel. This is a hard thing we've talked about today. And, and it's hard to come up with even hard and fast answers. And so we know the principles that we're committed to. And I think the thing we do is we continue day by day as the world shifts around us and as, as things that, that don't make sense come before us, that we go back and make sure that we stay tied to those things that we know to be objectively true um, that are presented us to us in the Word of God. One of the ways we're trying to do that here at Lifeline is by engaging with government, with engaging um, with the, our federal government and with state governments and to, to, to represent to them um, a, a biblical worldview and, and what it means for us to be commanded to live by a biblical worldview and, and how that can find a place in the things that government is doing um, and in partnership with them and the things that they are responsible for in caring for vulnerable children and vulnerable families. And so as we intersect in adoption and foster care and all these things that we do that have legal implications, um, we have to have to try to, to strive to give people who, who believe the Bible, who have a certainty about God's design, who, who live by a biblical ethic, a place to be able to serve, um, and a space to be able to for us to function and live according to to our sincere beliefs that are derived not because of our opinion, but because of who God is and and ultimately what He's revealed to us is true through His Word. And so, part of the way that we do that is is we have a, a portion of our engagement team, part of the part of the ministry that I lead here that's focused on uh, public policy and government relations. And right now we're without somebody in that seat. And so the prayer request for today is uh, I want to ask you to pray for us that the Lord would lead us to the right person and, 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 and lead us to the right person quickly um, to be able to help us to build relationships and, and, to, and to walk out the work of making sure that that people um, who 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 love Christ, who honor His Word, who live according to um, 
the, the scriptures that we've been given by God and live according to a biblical worldview as best we understand it, that we would be allowed to be able to do that as we as we work in spaces like adoption and foster care and coming alongside vulnerable, vulnerable families and all of those sorts of things and that we would be free um, and that in our country where we were founded and grounded on a, on a principle of um, religious freedom, that our, our religious freedom would be honored as um, as we rank, as we work in those areas in in alongside government with government and under the license and the sanctioning sometimes of government in in places where we know that the people um, some of the people that we're that we're working with don't don't believe the way we believe they don't see the world the way that we see the world and and ultimately um, sometimes try to try to prevent us from doing that work and crowd us out. And so um, at Lifeline, we're, we're trying to do something in that to have a voice and, and to, to represent um, conservative Christians as a, as a population. Um, and, and so it's bigger than us a little bit. And so we, we pray that you join with us and, and pray for the right person that would come along to help lead us in that initiative and 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 the right person ultimately to um to to honor uh what it is that that God has called all of us to do in living responsive James 127 and and caring for um vulnerable families and vulnerable children um in the name of Jesus. And so thanks for joining us today on the Defender Bible Study. We'll be right back here next week. We're going to continue in the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll pick up and finish uh, the rest of chapter 7. And uh, really thankful to have been able to have this time with you, even over a difficult passage. And, uh, and thank you for praying for us in, uh, in, for this most crucial need that we have. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.